Um, as far as other announcements, uh, it's also the final uh, opportunity to collect uh, for the European Projects Committee. Uh, maybe, Brother Zorn, did you want to say anything about that, uh, the need there? Since we have you here, we have the opportunity. Right, and I understand with uh, all the expenses we've had this year, we're a little bit under budget. We need more funds than usual. We're, right. Right. So uh, I'll try to repeat for the message of those who didn't hear. Uh, Brother Zorn saying that this year they've uh, set, spent a lot of money trying to help our dear brothers in Ukraine, um, 84000 in total. There was generators, blankets. They'd like to get to sending food as well, as that's uh, deteriorating their ability to get access to food. Um, and so uh, also we've got the commitment, uh, ongoing commitment we have to the Injija um, uh, old age home where we ha are, have some caretakers taking care of some elderly there that we'd like to maintain that commitment. So uh, funds have been tight since we have these additional high level expenses and so there's an appeal to anyone who would like to uh, donate towards that. <clears throat> um, so this, uh, I, th I think that that's all we have for announcements today. Um, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, you are faithful and true. And Father, you have brought us through this past year by your grace. And Father, we dare not enter into this coming year without holding your hand do not have the strength, the wisdom, the foresight, but we know that you do. And Father, we want to trust in you and in your faithfulness, in your unchanging character, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we trust in you even this morning, despite the weakness of your servant, to speak to your children and lord may your living word encourage and strengthen and and help each and every one of us to be shaped in the image of your precious son father we pray for those who cannot be here we know there's a number who are 
dealing with illness, a number who are dealing with the infirmity of old age. And we pray for extra grace and comfort and, and, and um, strengthening for each of them. And Father, we pray for your working in us, Lord. Change us, transform us, help us not to become weary and well-doing, but Lord, that we can have strength as the eagles to lift up and to be renewed by your grace and by your strength for the time that we are in needs us to be faithful as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For our meditation this morning, let's turn together to the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit and Apostles in to the 13th chapter. Acts chapter 13, beginning to read from verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an high arm brought he them out of it. In about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness, and when he destroyed seven nations in the land of Chanaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren... Children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you 
is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, And as concerning that, he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel to pray. 
Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to gather in thy presence in this way, that now at the close of this year, we can take stock and look back, but also look forward with hope and with joy, knowing that the same spirit that worked in the early church and through the apostles is present now with us as well. And if there is any lack, it is on our part. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have the benefit <clears throat> of being on this side of the cross, of seeing now the plan of salvation as it was laid out by the, uh, by the Apostle Paul when he spoke to that multitude there, that we can all rejoice, be filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost as, they, as we've read in these close, this closing verse. Heavenly Father, let that be the characteristic for this coming year for each one of us, that we would indeed be filled both with joy and with the Holy Ghost and that the world would know that we are thy disciples. We know and we can expect that if this is to happen, then like the early church, we can expect persecution as well, that there will be those who will resist. But Heavenly Father, let us take courage and hope, knowing that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, and all of these things are known unto thee, and that will provide both strength and ability above what we are able to provide. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for those that could not gather with us this morning, we ask for thy blessing to be upon the sick and the shut-in, those that are elderly and can no longer gather with us. Heavenly Father, be with them as well and provide for their needs, uh, even as thou hast sustained them thus far. Be with all those who are preaching thy word throughout this world today, Heavenly Father, as they gather together on the Lord's day, and let thy word go forth in power and simplicity and in truth. For as the, the, the pagan world back then was transformed by the preaching of the word, we know that thy word also can transform this, uh, this, this wicked and sinful world that we, we see around us. Be with us now, dear Lord, and bless us with thy presence, and grant our brother also an anointing of thy Holy Spirit to speak these words of life unto us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters and friends, children of the Heavenly Father and those that fear God have chosen to be here this morning. We are on the final day of this year. It's an opportunity to soberly take stock and consider and examine ourselves. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves and prove yourselves whether you're in the faith. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, examine yourself and see if you're worthy to partake of the table of the Lord. And typically, it's this time of year where people do take that opportunity. It competes with the worldly tradition we know the Romans try to distract their citizens from the decay of their crumbling civilization by pun and circus, bread and circuses, give them lots of food and entertainment, and then they won't think about what's really going on and hold the leadership and accountability. And it seems that uh, this opportunity for us to consider where am I? And where am I going? 
And what did I do with the year that was given me? And what do I plan to do with the year that lies before me? This opportunity is also uh, undermined by the tradition of, you know, reveling and all those things that uh, Galatians 5 tells us are the, uh, that, that feed the flesh and compete with the spirit, that, that we cannot truly be in tune with the spirit when we are overindulging. So in this passage here, this is the first sermon that Paul had, we have recorded of Paul. The first time we have recorded sermon on his missionary journeys. Started off, I, I'm always inspired by the beginning of this chapter where the church just really felt convicted. God wants us to do something. The leadership fasted and prayed together. And um, the Holy Spirit said, I've got a purpose. Got a plan. Separate Paul and Barnabas and they fasted and prayed with them and sent them. And we know that because of that, we have half of the scriptures, 27 books written by Paul. We have the scripture, as we read this morning, coming out of being a Jewish uh, narrative, a Jewish sect, to being available to the entire world, which was God's plan the whole time. But... The church in Antioch listened to the Spirit. Paul and Barnabas were faithful and listened to the Spirit, and God was able to use them to accomplish what we are all benefiting from right now. Now, Paul, as he's starting off his message, he's, he's, he's uh, gone through uh, one, one uh, Cyprus before that, and now he's landed in modern-day Turkey, and um, He's, uh, we see his kind of, his, his strategy or his pattern, his, um, what was to, to go to the point of departure, to, to so who here in this city has a sensitive heart towards the things of God? Well, the only place where the Jehovah God was worshipped was the synagogue, it was not just the ethnic Jews that were there. There were also others, and we see that. There was a number of Gentiles who were also looking for something, who, you know, in the words of Paul on, uh, on the Mars Hill, you know, they were feeling, they were groping, they had a sense there's got to be something more. These fickle, powerless gods, there's got to be something that, I'm created with a purpose. I feel judged by my own actions. I know I'm not doing right. And so they came and they attended the synagogue where they heard about the true God who created heaven and earth. So Paul went there. And he started off, as his strategy was, with let's look at a perspective of history. That's what we can do today as we look at your 2023. And we can see what happened. What, where, what was the hand of God? What was my response to it? We see, you know, in the narrative of the scripture, God worked with this people, Israel, 
They, not that they were worthy, uh, but he chose them. He um, took them as slaves out of Egypt in, in dramatic, powerful, supernatural fashion, brought them out against, you know, defeating the, the top military power and suffered their manners, their attitude for 40 years in the wilderness as they kind of learned to leave the slave mentality. So we learned God, his power, his desire to redeem, his desire to make free people's response of, eh, I'm comfortable, I like to complain and whine and, and use victim mentality and blame shift on you and, and not take responsibility, not step out in faith. And we see how they totally didn't live up to their potential. They were out 40 days, they were at this promised land. But eh, they're giants. We can't do it. Didn't take God into to the calculus. And that he, the one who just defeated Egypt, drowned the army in the Red Sea, did these 10 plagues, could possibly defeat the giants and walled cities in front of them. That only was like a month earlier. But short memories. Big focus on me and my weakness. Little focus on God and his power. So we get this perspective of history. How much of it applies to me this past year? Did I like to blame shift? Did I go forth in the power of God and conquer Canaan? Or did I wander in the wilderness and whine? I think I can unfortunately and confess that it's more of the latter. But God prevailed. And he destroys these seven nations. He brings them in. He finally, after 40 years, they, there's Joshua who has the trust in God, the faithfulness. He divides the land. And we know that's a whole story. We have the entire Old Testament being summarized here. He gives them judges. 450 years. We, we see this per large perspective of history. Everybody has their context. And there's the context of those who are slaves in Egypt and are they going to trust God that he can deliver them? The context of those in the wilderness, are they going to choose to focus on their complaints or faith in God? Those who are on the cusp of, con of, of conquering, are they going to trust and enter across the Jordan? Are they going to push against the Philistines or just leave these corners and these people who end up being forever in history, the Philistines and those that kind of were a thorn in their side. Are, are, in the time of the judges, God wants to be king. Are they going to take him as king? Are they going to do what's right in their own eyes? As we know is what happened in those 450 years. The cycle of, oh, we're in trouble. God, save us. You know, and oh, we sends Gideon. He sends all, one Samson. He delivers them. You know, they're happy for a generation and forget. And so the cycle went. Then they want a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want someone to go out and take the heat and fight our battles. And he gave them Saul. You ever wonder why God gave him Saul first and then David? Right? He's a, he was, he looked 
the part. He was a head taller than everyone else. He was very powerful and, but there's 40 years there of lessons of does the person you're trusting in, is it up to him to deliver or is it up to the God he's under? And when the person thinks me, it's up to me and I need people to validate me, which was kind of Saul's weakness. He was really, uh, you know, you can see, you know, okay, I messed up, but in the eyes of the people, just honor me right now because that was his power base. It wasn't God. It was his popularity. And do I worry more about what people think of me or what God thinks of me? Do we as leadership worry about that? Or do we trust in the Lord our God and obey him even when it may not make sense? God has to remove Saul. He gets totally in this self-pity cycle and focused on his jealousy and uh, he removes him and puts David in his place. Now David wasn't perfect if we read the whole story but yet David was a man after God's heart. David is someone who does choose to think of God first and the people second who has this totally upside down way of doing things. Someone comes with the head of Saul and he kills him, you know, because you touch the Lord's anointing. Like, you know, he wasn't about human ways of getting power. He was totally against that and really trusted God. Like the part, the story I've probably preached on multiple times, you know, that gets me because I get discouraged. I look around and feel like, you know, I can't change things or this is. And then you look at David. And here he is, comes back to Ziklag. Everything he owns is burning. His wife and children are taken off by, uh, away by uh, hostages in today's parlance, uh, you know, by this marauding thing. And, and his own five, six hundred men want to kill him because look what you did. You led us away and now we lost our wives and kids and everything we own. Everything... He has is up in smoke. And at that point, David encouraged himself in the Lord. So when we feel like we've got nothing, we feel sorry for ourselves, we feel like we're failures, we feel like we've messed up and everything's going up in smoke, we've lost the people we care about and it's our fault. still encourage yourself in the Lord. And through this man see, the one who said, I'm God, I'm living in this nice house. What about you? Who actually proactively desired to build a house to worship God because it was in his heart. It wasn't God said, you should do this. He actually initiated that. It wasn't a responsibility. It wasn't like a, 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 uh, something that he was obligated to do. I got to go to church on Sunday. 
I gotta, you know, pay my dues. I gotta, you know, show up or do my part. He says, no, I love God. I want to build him a house. And God is almost taken aback by this. He says, wow, now that, that's different. This isn't someone who feels guilty and wants to pay for their sins and bring sacrifices. This is somebody who, who actually loves me and on his own initiative wants to show that. So he gave him a promise that from his seed, his house would continue. And we have Jesus. And that's what we've been talking about, at least hopefully that's been our thoughts, about how Jesus was sent into the world. Again, this is, this is God working in time and space with identifiable people. This is not a myth. This isn't Zeus on Olympus or, you know, uh, you know some narrative that's being made up. It's not some airbrushed, you know, the, the people here are real. They have real flaws. We know them. This is real history and a real God who can really make a difference in your life in 2024. So God raised Jesus. But before Jesus, there was John. You see, everybody has their context. Everybody has the space they were placed in in history. And you have yours. So John is before Jesus. He gets to point to someone else. I'm not the one. You think I am? No, 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 no. Someone's coming. I'm not even worthy to undo his shoelaces, much less wash his feet. He's like so much greater than I am. I can't even touch his feet. But he was faithful. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. He pointed to Jesus, and he says, you people who love God, who fear God, Jesus is coming. But you've got the privileged. You've got the people that supposedly know the truth. The people that have the Bible. The people that read it all the time. That are the experts. That are the gatekeepers to God. Jesus comes, and they feel threatened. He exposes their hypocrisy. They don't like it. He threatens their hold. He's popular. And they deal with him according to their power. Little knowing that they are fulfilling the very same scriptures they claim to understand and interpret for the world and don't realize that in these scriptures they are the bad guys and they are fulfilling God's plan in killing his son. I mean, we see what the, the, the whole, you know, the, they hear all this, they hear the gospel message we're getting to and you got the Jews in Jerusalem and then you have the Jews here in Antioch, they're doing the same thing. They're, wow, this is great salvation, forgiveness, it's come to me, the fulfillment of all prophecies, I'm the privileged ones to receive it. Wait, people are following Paul instead of us. We're not the gatekeepers anymore. The Gentiles like this. And they turn and they try to snuff out the gospel because they feel jealous 
or threatened, it just makes you sh shake your head. When we, as people, think it's about us and not the glory of God, and we react out of personal spite, out of personal hurt, and don't realize that this whole thing's being recorded. You know, not just that there's cameras in the room, this is gonna be played on the big screen in front of the whole, all of people on the end of days. We see the books will be opened and everything we did, thought, or said is going to be played out for all to see. There's going to be no secrets. How does that apply to us? We're privileged. We here in this room know about Jesus. We know the words of life. And people around us are dying without hope, without purpose, without meaning. And we're the gatekeepers. What was Jesus' problem with the Pharisees? You hypocrites, you don't do it, and you get in the way of people who want to come. Am I being responsible with the treasure I've been entrusted with? The treasure. Do I look down? on the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the world, the, the unwashed masses. Because I've been blessed. But you see, you see how this works. God privileges these people because of the faith of their, faithfulness of their fathers. But that doesn't make it automatic. The Jews had this privilege because of Abraham, because of David, because of those that he promised blessings to their children, but they had to be faithful in their own response. Or God was going to turn and give it to someone else who was more worthy, who was actually going to honor and want a relationship with him, want him and not his stuff. Saul, God blessed, gave the spirit, but he wasn't worthy. He wasn't faithful. He had to be replaced with David. The Jews were given this privilege, but they didn't respond in humility and gratitude in wanting to be a vessel through which the world would be blessed. They wanted to keep it to themselves only. And God had to set them aside. And he said, this has been prophesied. We will turn to the Gentiles now. Despisers and wonder and perish. I work a work in your days that you shall no wise believe, though it man declare it to you. We 
we've been given these glad tidings. As he is expanding here that Jesus came, he was killed, but he rose again. And through him, there is forgiveness of sins. We have testimonies. He was seen. He, you know, we, we, we've got, this is the glad tidings, not just that was said on the hills of Bethlehem, but now on the hill of Golgotha, that Jesus died and rose again for your sins. And we need to be faithful. Look at, he, he then you know, says, look, this isn't, this is incredible news, but this is not in isolation. It was predicted. It was prophesied. Look at these psalms. And he actually quotes Psalm 2 and so on. says, you know, God predicted that the son of David would not suffer corruption, would not even, their body wouldn't decay. Jesus did die, but before his body could decay, he was raised from the dead, right? And, and, this, and he's saying, look, this is prophet. This is part of God's plan. And this is the whole, and that's why he's given the big picture. And you and I have a choice to be a part of God's plans. We are. We are privileged. We've been given privilege. And history will judge what we do with that privilege. Now it's time to take stock. For David, and he's just here, he's making the argument that this obviously doesn't apply to David. It's being provided by David's seed, Jesus, right? That was raised from the dead for our justification, that through him is preached forgiveness of sins, that whoever believes is justified from all things that the law of Moses could not justify. But I just struck me, and I want to think about this verse for a minute. For David, this is verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, he fell on sleep and was laid to his father and saw corruption. But, yes, the force of the argument is that David died and was not the fulfillment of this prophecy. But I want to think about what he said in the first half of the verse. David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, he fulfilled God's purpose. He was faithful in his generation. We've been talking about thousands of years of generations here. From Egypt to the Sinai to the conquest to the judges to the kings. Generation after generation. You and I are in a generation. I am not responsible for what the previous generations. Neither can I take credit for the faithfulness of previous generations. And I may have influence on future generations, but they will answer to God themselves. But this generation, this is where I'm responsible. This is where God has a purpose and a plan, and I have a decision whether I'm participating in this whole flow, because this is not about me. It's about God's plan, and whether I'm going to be faithfully a part of that and be a conduit of blessing, or try to obstruct that and be set aside. Whether I'm going to trust him and believe him, which means surrender of, of, of control, right? Because 
for me to be this vessel of blessing, I got to let go. I got to let it go through me. I got to let go of the stuff, the, the feelings, the forgiveness, the, all the stuff I want to hang on to. I've got to let it go so that God can flow through me. Comfort, most of all, has got to die. Self has got to die like Jesus died. David was faithful in his generation. The previous generation has been faithful, and they're going one by one. You hear about Brother Edwin in the hospital, weak. He was faithful in his generation. He, we all remember his apples and his this time of year, it would be today, he would go and hand everyone a daily devotional from the Word of God to encourage everyone to read the Word of God. We've had, you know, Chikajarko, my father, many who have gone on that generation is passing on. We have only a few faithful ones left. And in my generation, my generation, we've got a short amount of time. I can feel this body getting weaker. I can feel my capacity diminishing. And yes, I need to take better care of the vessel God's given me so I can be faithful in my generation. The next generation needs to step up and be faithful in your generation. We need in this place for there to be a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ because this place, your generation needs to hear it. Otherwise, God will turn to someone else who will be faithful. But he's come to you first. You are the Jew in this story. You are the one who has received generations of blessing, of truth and knowledge and, 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 and example. And as I have, as I have, and I need to be faithful to the end because it's the end that matters, not just the beginning. And I know where I have, like I said, wandered in the desert, desert and whined and not stepped up to the challenges in front of me. And I want to invite you, each generation, please, Step up. Don't fall asleep. Let's take stock together. Let's together raise up a standard to the living God, to the hope of Jesus Christ that is the answer as this world takes this Maslow's hierarchy of human needs and they say, oh yeah, you know, it's, it builds up to, you know, things we can all agree on. Jesus also fed and clothed and, 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 and but the ultimate is not self-actualization. Uh, it's surrender of self to Christ to become, to be able to say, I fulfilled the will of God in my generation.
Can you say that? When this story continues and is being played on the screen in heaven, will it be said he was faithful in his generation to fulfill the word of God, the will of God? This is an opportunity for each of us. And my dear friend, don't wait. Your generation needs saving. Your circle, your corner, the people where you're at, they need to hear. May the Lord bless his word. Where it is our God to fall on our knees and pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Holy Ghost, even this morning hour, we've, we are falling on our knees, humbling ourselves, and in one spirit, we pray to Thee, be merciful unto us. Extend Thy grace and Thy, thy blessings unto us. We are not worthy of it, dear Heavenly Father. And yet again, we come to thee, to thy face, asking for help. Because by our own strength, we cannot accomplish anything. And yet again, hearing once thy calling to come to thee, to make peace with thee, to obey thee, we did come, dear Heavenly Father, and we ask Thee to wash us with the precious blood of our Savior and Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Even those that uh, not have gone through the commandment of Thine, we ask Thee to open their eyes, to humble their spirits so that they can come to thee in humility. And uh, this morning hour we heard stories from the past, how you have chosen thine people in their generation, how you have chosen Saul and David, the servant of thine, who was by thy own heart who had love towards thee and obedience and uh, acting upon that love, not as a duty, but of love towards Heavenly Father. And we see those titans of faith going through very difficult times and then comparing ourselves to them we see that we are not coming even close. But the times we live in are also challenging. And our trials and tribulations here seem very big to us. Not only us, dear Heavenly Father, but our families, our dear ones, our friends, that are going through many 
troubles here on earth. We ask thee, dear Heavenly Father, to extend thy hand that is powerful enough to guide us through, to give us victory, to give us victorious life, so we can be witness to this fallen, darkened world here on earth in these hours that we live in, that we might be witness, that might signify hope in the lives of those that surround us, that we can give consolation, that we don't give room to despair like those chosen people of thine when they were wandering in the desert, when they saw the giant that occupied the walled cities in front of them and their hearts were trembling. But give us boldness, we pray thee, to meet our challenges of our time, to be worthy of this name Christians and prepare for what is to come. Dear Heavenly Father, there are many of our church members that, uh, and our friends that are not able to come, were not able to come this day. May they be um, comforted at their homes, even if they are listening through the benefits of the modern technology, if they are shut in, if they are sick, if they are lonely, if they are in any other difficulties or under attack of Satan, may we all be comforted, uh, not only today, but for the week to come. Dear Heavenly Father, there are many petitions we can bring to thee uh, of thy people, and thou knowest even those things that we are not aware of, you can fulfill those and help us, and strengthen us, and bless us, and be with us. That's what we pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would a brother please select a closing hymn? We've heard this morning about the micro and the macro view of history. The macro view, or the big picture, can be easily traced. The plan is clear. God's hand is obvious. But at the micro level, in the day-to-day, -day, it's not quite that clear. Even those faithful ones that were mentioned, I'm thinking of John the Baptist, he had his moment of doubt. There was a time where he had to send his disciples to Christ and ask him, Art thou he that should come, or do we search for another? For a moment, for a little while, his faith faltered, and Christ had to gently encourage him and send back the word, Go tell John what you see. That's faith. Faith is trusting the hand of God when you don't see it. It's that line that we follow day by day, week by week, 
sometimes mechanically maybe, knowing that it's the right thing, sometimes joyfully, when the mist's clear and we can see clearly. But it's required. Faith is required. I have a neighbor across the road from me. He's an interesting man. We talk often. He's had a lot of experiences. He's a certified diver. He told me about diving in the caves in Cuba. He and his, I think it was his wife at the time, they, they were, um, I think his wife was with him, they're married. Uh, and uh, they were diving together and they were going with some of uh, the, the Cuban, uh, I think they were special forces divers, very trained divers. And they were taking them through these caves and the feature of those caves is it's mixing of fresh and salt water and it produces some really interesting distortions when you're, when you're there, and in order for the safety of the divers, they had a line that was anchored into the side of the cave through iron rings, and the practice as you, as you dive there, you have to make a circle with your hand, and you, you, you keep that, that circle locked around the line as you dive, as you, as you go through the cave, because of course the, the perils are obvious. If you run out of air, you can't just go up. You're in a cave. And my neighbor's an experienced diver. He, done this before. I was enjoying the experience, marveling at the differences as they, as they, as they passed from, through, through, through one layer into the other. But along the way, he let go of the rope. And he said in an instant, because of the currents that are there, he suddenly realized he was some 20 feet or more away from the line. And one of the divers came back and said, you know, motioned to him what he should do. Put your hand back around that line. And he felt foolish. But he realized the experienced divers, even they didn't abandon that line. They understood. Though though they had dived that route before, even they were not above keeping one hand on the rope. For the new year, as you progress through your own set of trials and difficulties, whatever they may be, as God tests you through those times, don't let go of the rope. Faith is both fragile and incredibly strong because it's related directly to God. He holds us, but we can let go of him. Seek to hold on to him through faith in this upcoming year. Don't be distracted by the beautiful sights and the interesting phenomenon around you. Hold to his hand. May the Lord add to what we've heard this morning and bless us and dismiss us now with his blessing. Amen.